Welcome, everyone. Whether you're listening from somewhere in this world or the next, this planet or another, we're glad you're here to join us as we explore unexplainable truths. I'm your host, Wendy Jaglarski. Death, even for a moment, changes everything. And on this episode of Unexplainable Truths, I'll be speaking with Jacob Cooper, who's going to share with us the incredible near-death experience he had as a child that ripped an opening between him and the spirit world. He's went on to become a clinical social worker, and he just had a book published in December called Life After Breath. I've been eagerly awaiting uh, today's interview with him. So I'd like to welcome Jake Cooper to the show. Hey, Jake. Hello, Wendy. Thank you for having me on as your honored guest. Oh, gladly. I um, actually started reading your book this past week, so I've been looking forward to this day um, ever since then. And yeah, so I am going to turn it over to you right now so you can begin by telling us how this incredible journey started for you. My pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So my experience happened to me, my near-death experience happened to me when I was the age of three years old. Um, At the time, I didn't know it, but I had an upper respiratory, highly contagious virus called pertussis, or generically known as whooping cough, which could be fatal for infants and children and even adults uh, if left untreated. But uh, infants are most highly susceptible, you know, to uh, death uh, due to the uh, untreated virus. And I went to a park with family friends, uh, and it was about September of 1993, and Going to the park um, had um, just um, difficulty uh, breathing, but I, you know, and I was getting a bit nauseous, but I just kind of put that aside a bit and I just wanted to have a good time. I was going with my babysitter and she was my godmother at the time and her family and, you know, my sibling. And, you know, I was just going to the park on a beautiful late summer, uh, late summer day. And, uh, you know, as I got out of the car, I again, kind of noticed myself feeling a little queasy, but again, I just ignored that and just, you know, went off and my mind wanted to have a good time and my body was telling me otherwise. And, uh, I started climbing up the ladder of a slide, um, to just go down the slide. And as I was climbing up the ladder with each, um, particular step, I was, my breathing was becoming a lot more, um, uh, resuscitated and, and labored. And as I got up to you know, the top of the slide, um, my breathing was just not there. I was trying to breathe in and literally there was nothing, you know, coming in, you know, nothing going out. It was just totally suffocation, um, at its pure form that was happening. Uh, and then moments later, I, felt my body just losing, you know, functional control and uh, just parts of my body just beginning to just unravel through the deprivation of oxygen. And you know, then I kind of saw myself looking down on my body, you know, the dis- kind of disembodied state. And I was able to become aware of what was happening to me physiologically, physio neuro kind of chemically. And um, then I was able to become aware of my brain and feel it and look down at it and I was able to understand the different components and functional parts of uh, my own brain and as I looked at my brain I suddenly felt my brain literally snap in half as if you um, take a plug in a wall and just yank it or you know almost kind of like um, 
I get that mixed up, but thunder or lightning, and it's just like a huge crack that I just felt in my brain. And once my brain literally cracked in half, that's that's when, as a saying would go, God came in. Um, and then slowly I started feeling this vortex or vortice coming towards me. Um, and it was coming at some insane speed. And this vortex is something I was aware of, you know, in the car. And it was quite a familiar, it was almost kind of like a soul vacuum that was just taking me in. Uh, and it was happening in the corner, you know, of, of the distance. And I just noticed myself being sucked in, in this kind of vacuum, in this kind of whirlwind vortex up a path of, you know, nearly like a million miles an hour going upwards and upwards to infinity with no beginning, no middle, no end. I was just going higher and higher without any possible limitation. And and I was able to be cognizant of, as I was vibrating higher, uh, the right side of my head, which was at the top of the slide, I was able to, you know, be aware of this massive mystical palace that was, you know, to the right of my head. And I was just blown away by by its beauty and its light where I just had to really you know literally kind of shield myself from from viewing um it was so profound and I was able to hear octaves and high potent sounds that were coming from angelic beings of this uh palace uh within uh moments I was drawn to kind of like a brown and gold kind of field with just like flashing color and uh, wasn't that I was able to see Jesus Christ or wasn't in front of me, but it was more of a high vibrational awareness of the Christ energy field. Um, that's the best way I could describe it. And, uh, you know, it, you know, when I was feeling quite suffocated moments earlier, I was able to just connect to it, to an infinite breath of spirit. And, uh, this was an intense high and quite a familiarity and almost like a deepened voice and an energy of the other side. Uh, and then moments later, I became aware of my own spiritual guides that were to the right side and left side of me. They were male and female guides. At the time, I knew their names and I knew everything about them. And they were massive and just beautiful beings. And they literally pushed my body down the slide. And I saw myself there lying, you know, flatlined as my guides went down with me on the slide. And then you know, people that went to the park with me on that day uh, were surrounding my body, which is irresponsive to their call. And I was able to look down on my body that was irresponsive. And I was aware of my own energy body. And just I had like a field that I could feel a presence that was beyond just the physical body. And I saw that I had a, I felt my own form. And as they were trying to call my name, I, was trying to retort or respond. And it was quite frustrating because I could see them, I could hear them, but they couldn't hear or see me. They were looking at something that I wasn't, which is the irresponsive body that, that lay flat on the ground. <clears throat> and then moments later, as I looked up at all the you know, people that I went to the park on that day, I was able to look at their electromagnetic field or their auric fields. And I was able to see flashing colors and I was able to not just know their thoughts, but I knew, you know, their hearts and I knew their soul. And I was able to really understand them in so many different ways and was able to really connect deeply to a sibling of mine who I was able to have premonitions about with his life path and some of the events that are coming now forward to today. 
Uh, and then moments later, I was greeted by hundreds and thousands of cherubim or childlike angels that were just floating very peacefully above my body and above the park. And they were right there. Um, and as I looked at these angels, it was, I was, I just couldn't believe it. I, I was just thought I was hallucinating or making things up. It was just so profound to see it right literally in front of me. And they were looking at me, but I could hear them, sense them. And they were just sending healing energy. They were sending love. They were sending protection. And they were there just to be of divine service and divine intervention. Um, and it just was a clear filter right in front of me that was happening. And they were beautiful angels all over the place. And I just couldn't see the end of them. And it was just this beautiful filter uh, that I was connecting to. And then moments later in the distance, I had what I, or people will understand as my soul family, uh, which are, you know, individuals who I've been with in many different lifetimes and many different roles. Um, but it's a similar, you know, kind of team that you carnate with and those who you don't carnate with are with you, you know, guiding you, you know, not just your life path, but during your life. And as I saw them, I felt, um, felt a sense of shame and sense of embarrassment that I was you know, about to cross over. And at the time I was three years old, I, it almost felt like, you know, when someone goes to the military and everyone has a big party for weeks on end and you have all these promises and you feel like you're going to be brave and go out to battle. And all of a sudden you just come back a couple of weeks later and say, no, I, I can't do it. Or go to a summer camp and you just say, no, I can't. So, you know, in that moment, um, mm -hmm. you know, my spiritual family was, was with me along with my spiritual guides and the angels, you know, and, and you know, energy of God and energy of Christ consciousness, uh, which we could get into a little bit later. Uh, and I was posed a question as to, you know, what will I do? Um, will I, you know, stay, you know, with my spirit family and cross over with them and continue to live on the other side? Or will I um, continue my life as Theodore Jake? And um, I just kind of posed a question as to what will happen if I do stay? What will my life turn out to be? What will, um, what will it be about? W would it be worthwhile to turn down heaven and to turn on the other side? And within moments, I was getting flashing imagery of um, an understanding of my lifetime within this body and impacts that it had, but also, you know, reviews of other lifetimes and, you know, different scenes. And I was spanning the globe at an infinite rate at different overlaying um, you know, countries and continents and spanning the entire globe and just going through different eras and different time frames. And the most relevant lifetime that I was um, reflected on was a lifetime in which um, I had students that came to me during these moments and I was able to recognize their faces and the memory that tied those two together that, you know, never died and never will never end. And I just felt very sad because I remembered within that lifetime as how I had a fall from grace and I ended up, you know, committing suicide in that lifetime and you know, leaving those students behind and that life behind. And, and in next moments, I was able to see the life that I was about to live in different flashing images. And, you know, one particular scene that I held on to was, you know, me speaking in front of a crowd and seeing you know, numerous participants within this crowd. But it wasn't that I felt better than the participants or that I was a superior, but rather 
I was a part of this message of love, this message of bringing heaven down to earth and seeing the eyes and the souls and the windows of the soul that I was um, just being a conduit of this message was something just so profound that I didn't never wanted to uh, let go of. And, you know, within that moment, I said, you know, heaven is beautiful, but what I'm seeing, what I'm sensing is that the capacity to bring it down to here is something that I need to do. The other side will always be there for this unique opportunity of transformation and, um, and change and impact is something mm-hmm. that I, that I didn't, that I couldn't turn down. And within moments, you know, all the, um, all of these celestial beings and heavenly beings, um, and guides and soul family members just left me, um, and went away. And then the last memory that I had was my you know, spirit guides. And I just asked them, I just, how do I know that this will happen? Um, I just felt very, um, uncertain and, and just almost doubtful and just, um, just kind of kicking myself a little bit for turning that down. And, and they told me just really just to trust, watch your thoughts, your thoughts are truly the highways and pathways to towards the life that you are destined to live. And with that thought energy, with that message, I woke up on a hospital bed and, you know, I was aware of my mother who was, you know, for me. And within this moment, I was able to just be cognizant too of the ambulance, but most of my energy was dominantly focused on, you know, the other side. Uh, But I was aware of underlaying, you know, events that were happening to my body, uh, but was mostly focused on the other side. But uh, I woke up and I saw my mother was... Know, quite sad and upset and frightened, and um, there's a lot of different emotional reactions. But the first was um, a bit of frustration or almost anger, as if you know I was able to see so many different things, and my mother was not aware of that. And I knew, even if I tried, I couldn't express myself, and I didn't feel that much different than I felt when my body was lifeless. I felt dead in my body at this time, as if. No one could really, people could see me, but they couldn't hear me this time. And uh, that's something that um, carried over almost 20 years, you know, being seen and not being able to be heard and express, you know, this, this experience. And, you know, after that, yeah. um had to live my life. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. And you were three years old um, when you went to the other side, did you suddenly feel outside of those limitations of a three-year-old's cognitive ability or self-awareness? Did you transcend that or was this all happening within the context of a three-year-old? What I would say is, you know, three-year-olds or any infant are not truly what we think they are. Um, In a sense that if you do believe in that the body does not produce consciousness, is not the totality of who we are, um, then truly there's an external developmental uh, pace that happens where the in translates to the outside, you know, but within infancy, um, there's a whole inner game that, that takes place um, that doesn't always reflect itself in its expression. And it takes years for the guitar player and the guitar to familiarize itself with its environment and its settings and to be able to express its true, you know, unique nature and sound. And that takes adjustment and years of acclimation. Uh, but this was an experience that was happening to me on, on my soul level. 
Um, it wasn't, you know, happening to me as the world saw me as a three-year-old, this blank slate child, and no three-year-old is a blank slate. It's a truly eternal soul that's not measured by the the physical, chronological, linear age. Uh, this was a non-linear experience in so many levels, and so this was happening in the deep orders of my true nature, and not just the body. Uh, the only thing that was really kind of like a three-year-old kind of experience was me thinking of my parents and. Not to sound self-aggrandizing, but just in a way thinking of, you know, how difficult it could have been and would have been for them to lose a child. And as we know, that is the most difficult enduring loss that anyone could probably endure is is the loss of a young child. Um, And so that was also an impetus behind me staying that I forgot to mention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that would be a parent's worst nightmare. Um, Now, can you share with us um, your insights to the meaning of reincarnation and why that might be necessary to a soul's journey? Yeah. You know, this ties in with some of my you know, professional work as a past life regression therapist. Um, and why I choose that is um, as a child, I had this big experience and I recognized that we are just so much more than our body. We're so much more than this, you know, temporary identity. We're not just this page of this book or this blank page that we've inherited, but you know we've had many different chapters and many different books and encyclopedias that we've written throughout the eons of time. Um, what I would say is my near-death experience was my ultimate classroom in life, and I try to reference a lot of my findings and um, my vantage points of life um, influenced by that. And what I would say is I look at my last lifetime You know, for an example, uh, it was a lifetime in which I committed suicide and took my own life. And, you know, I think people think of suicide as as a punishment or or a cop-out or stuff like that. But but at the end of the day, being in the field of mental health, it's a decision that that people make that ultimately, um, you know, we live with. And and so when I crossed over on the other side in that lifetime, instantaneously, there were regrets in a sense that I put so much of the paralysis of pain and anxiety and fear over a temporary situation, you know, in replace and overriding, you know, the true nature of uh, our infinite soul that we can never be damaged nor hurt in the infinite protection and path that we have to be able to transcend pain and generate hope, um, you know, and transcend pain into purpose and, you know, allowing us to trust in what's inside of us so much more than greater than what's outside of us. I do believe that we are here, not just physical beings and having physical degrees of evolution, you know, as, as Darwin you know, kind of spoke about, uh, but there's an inner evolution that comes within each lifetime. And that's not, you know, there's many different angles of it, but I always try to look at the high, the high road. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. things are just ever set in stone. and I always try to look at almost anything differently on a regular, everyday basis to evolve understanding. Uh, but from my near-death experience, I truly understand each lifetime is a beautiful, unique opportunity you know, to not necessarily change what's there, but to express what's truly there. And you know, we have waters of forgetfulness, and we're put into a world that, um, you know, that, that, that teaches us everything that we're not. And I think truly we're, we're here to take a lot of those things we remember who we truly are and to be able to integrate that, um, that leads to a lot more of an existence where our soul is, is living from the inside out versus the outside in, not as much programmed and limited 
and bogged down by some of the um, conveyor belt development that happens within this earth plane. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, I know that in your book you mentioned that your family was Jewish, and I'm wondering what their reaction was when you said that you saw Jesus um, and did that change their beliefs or their perspective on life based on this um, amazing experience that you had? Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't um, really speak to my parents until maybe two or three years later. And even then, I really didn't get into so much of the full entail of it just because of, you know, in a way, just, just the backlash that that name has, you know, within the Jewish tradition, which is ironic because Jesus was born a Jew, died a Jew. Well, he didn't die, but he went on. Uh, and so, uh, but I could understand where they're coming from in a sense that, you know, within the Jewish tradition, a lot of people took Christ's messages and went with it the wrong way and attacked, you know, Jews in the name of Christ, which was antithetical to anything that Christ stood for. Um, you know, just kind of messages took totally the wrong way. Um, but I, I didn't really speak to them, you know, so much about it. And, and you know, when friends or colleagues of, or family of mine read my book, that's the one thing that they speak about is you know, some of them have frustration about it or just irritation when they hear that. And, um, you know, I can't change the way that people view things and they ultimately come in with their own framework um, of it. What I would say is, um, to listeners and viewers, is the Christ on this earth plane, the external Christ of, you know, kind of this organized religion is a lot different than the, than the Christ consciousness that I connected to in a sense that it was a lot more personal and it was an energy and it was a field, um, you know, and so the external portrayal of that and depiction of that and this movement of it on, on the earth, you know, it doesn't always depict and go coincide with the unique connection um, in our hearts, right? And so that's a personalized connection um, on a deep level that's not kind of collectively interpreted and based, you know? And so ultimately every religion started with spirituality, you know? And, you know, sometimes unfortunately becomes such a collective wave that it's very hard to have a personalized experiential connection to it that's unfiltered and, and not based off of others' influences of interpretation. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I, and it's interesting, too, because when you look at all the religions in the world, as different as some of them may be, they always have a central focus of, of a oneness, of love, of a higher a higher self, you know, so those are the things I think are probably the most profound and meaningful. Um, since you've had this um, experience, do you think that everyone experiences something similar to this when they pass on from this physical life into the next life? Or do you think this happens you know, just when people are not ready to to fully transition and they will come back? Or what are your views on that? That's a profound question. Yeah, just in terms of, you know, my experience, you know, was it unique crossing over because it was a near-death experience and those in the spirit kind of, you know, 
made it kind of differently. Um, you know, I, I would say in a sense that, um, uniformly, uh, there's an intense euphoria and exhalation and a let go of the body and all, and all of its limitations. I think that's uniformal. I think person to person, I firmly believe that if we think of God or the afterlife as, as infinite, then surely what we connect to when we cross over, you know, has no limitations either. And so what I kind of understood is, um, when I crossed over and I was able to see parts of the other side and angelic beings and spiritual guides and different dimensions. Um, I, I have a taste of the other side. I have, um, just, just a small snippet of understanding, but to say that I took back with me the totality of it all, um, would not be very honest. I, and I view each and every lifetime as an opportunity to really elevate your own part of yourself that's forever connected to God so that you elevate to different um, echelons and, and understandings of awareness um, within, within the other side. You know, I think as we vibrate higher uh, and our frequencies higher, you know, so to our you know, ability to just leave the body and just follow that frequency on the other side and be at different um, echelons with it. Um, but there's different levels of understanding as our awareness expands within each and every lifetime. You know, so that's, but I, but I think sure. within every lifetime, my guess is your experience in heaven is, is different. And I think the more evolved that you become, you know, the less kind of overlaying features of this planet that it has and just the more light it is, you know? And so, um, but I do believe that people will go up and down just in terms of different levels of the other side and different dimensions. It's virtually unlimited. Mm-hmm. Given that, do you think that people choose uh, the life that they incarnate to, um, sort of as their their soul's journey? Yeah, I think so many of us are asking that question at this moment in time with the, with everything that's going on, right? You know, why yeah. did I choose this and stuff like that? Yeah. But um, as a child, I would always have a lot of different memories of the takeoff period, or when my soul you know, went into the womb and my soul went into the body and was, you know, it kind of in a little bit like Michael Newton talks about the life in between life and the charting period. So as a child, I had a lot of, you know, memories from that. And it was mostly, you know, when I was very relaxed or playing sports, I would just have these visions that would come to me or even in the dream state of this running theme of remind of, of just recollection of just this takeoff period, almost kind of like on a hill when I was just leaving everything behind and, seeing people, you know, with me and just remembering the different parts of my life that were uh, divinely planned with infinite intelligence far greater than my own. Uh, and so it's, I would say certainly yes. Um, you know, now do that, does that mean that everyone follows it? Well, if you're not in the groove of your soul and if your groove of your body, the groove of the material, the groove of the finite, it's hard to follow, you know, this infinite path that we set forward from infinite intelligence. So as we evolve a little bit deeper, um, we get more into that groove of the soul, and we trust in infinite awareness, infinite intelligence, intelligence more than our own you know, finite understanding within this body. And, um, but, I, but I certainly do believe that that's the case, that um, different themes, different parts, and I firmly believe that my near-death experience was, was, was certainly charted, as many astrologers who look at my own chart are able to see that period and, and look at it um, you know, as profound, but I think 
ultimately, um, the near death, the near death experience was very much tied in with my last suicide attempt, you know, and just the symmetry of the, you know, light at the end of the tunnel that I experienced. I <laughs> forgot to mention earlier on, um, sometimes when you tell the story, um, you forget certain elements, but you know, this, this vacuum really sucking me into this darkness, into this light, you know, vibrating incredibly high. And when I crossed over and, um, you know, just in a way how that is symbolic with, uh, you know, darkness and light and uh, being able to see the light past the darkness, you know, that we need to be able to see. Mm-hmm. Were there any lessons that you think that you took from this incredible experience that, you know, might have given you any lessons for these current crazy times that, that we live in? Part of my NDE was a premonition, um, and I know I talk about this in my book, where not only that I had awareness of, you know, micro premonitions of things to come, you know, but also this kind of like awareness of, of a shift to come or just this awareness of the spiritual evolution on the planet that I was to be a part of as a teacher. And I think that's what's happening right now. Um, sometimes when we're in the moment, we just don't see how radical changes are, much like we're in an airplane, we don't feel how fast we're going. And so I think right now within this moment, I think really to best describe it for people who understand astrology, it's, it's a very much kind of like a shift from that Neptune kind of energy, kind of structure, organization, you know, collectivity and stuff like that to more of a, a Uranian kind of change where, you know, people are not looking towards other people for, for answers, but they are trusting and empowered within. I think so much of that is when the outside world is deprived of us of so many things, that's what's happening today. Um, there's almost a suffocation that people are feeling literally through this, obviously upper respiratory virus, but also just in terms of life that they had and not being able to sustain that because the the rug has been pulled and the terrain is, is not there. It's different. And so as a survival skill, much like what happened with my own paralysis and my NDE, uh, there was nothing to breathe in. And ultimately I had to breathe in a deeper light past this body, past this time, past this space. And I think a lot of people are tuning into that eternal breath, that infinite breath and leading and, and letting go of this finite reality a little bit more and just re-remembering, you know, that. And that only comes with turbulence. Um, you know, that's a real big impetus of, of many changes on a, on a larger scale. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. No, it does. But um, I, I firmly believe... Um, you know, this unifying force of something that is hitting the whole globe in a way. Um, hopefully a lot of people are able to really recognize the connectivity of the planet and to get out of their own boxes and to stop seeing other countries, other people as their own pain, their own suffering, and to unify and join um, and, and to work cohesively. And that's the only way that we're ever able to get through this is the me intertwined and working with the we. And, mm-hmm. you know kind of implemented oneness and not just kind of a talking point, nice, you know, philosophical statement with empty, you know, kind of legs behind it. So. Yeah. Do you think there's anything uh, the, the average person can do to get in touch with their higher selves without having to actually have a near death experience? You know, that is something that's pretty rare. Um, Is that something, are there any, things that you think people can do to get in touch with that higher self without having to have an ND? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, not to sell myself, but I think between myself and others, and if people are interested, obviously, I think reading my book 
would be helpful. And I, and I don't do that for marketing purposes, but I do that in a way because my story, the way that it's told is to meant to be able to help people to own their own life. It's very grounded and it's not um, out there. And I, and it's that purposely, but I think the more end ears that people hear speak um, and if people are listening with their minds, it, with their hearts, not so much their, their left brain, I think in a way, all of these stories are just reminders of our own, our own eternity. And I think in a way it's, it's, it's people to not really so much latch onto an end to ear story, but for it to kind of have a little bit of amnesia within their own selves and just kind of shaking up their own consciousness and how they see themselves in their body. And I think that's one of the messages and gifts of the end to ears is not to take ownership of the story, but for the story to be told so that people could really unravel and open up their own eternal story. That's much more than what they have might've been seeing prior to that. But the second thing is, as uh, generic and as, as uh, you know, as as um, popularized as it sound is, is meditation. I do. I made a post the other day, and every day I, I have different short kind of channeled messages that I have on my social media pages. But I said, meditation is rapport building and intimacy with eternity. You know, that in the sense that for people who are able to meditate and for people who want, I certainly provide, you know, mindfulness one-to-one sessions, but there's a lot of free apps and all this accessible information, you know, within technological advancements. But, um, you know, meditation in a way is getting in touch with the sacred observer, or I like to call the soul. And kind of like, you know, when you're meditating, you're going into the deeper waters and you still have that thought energy, that emotional energy, but even past that, you're connecting to that. And that same point is, is you, you know, it's not, we're not just our thoughts. We're not just our emotions. We're not just our psyches. We're uh, much deeper than all those you know things. And so I think meditation is a great way to just get in touch with not what they are, but who they truly are and who they, and uh, not what they're connected to, but who and truly they are connected to. And um, I think that helps to really embody the notion to be in this world, but not of this world as people go a little bit deeper into their own deeper waters of consciousness and meditation is a great tool as is hypnosis and past life regression therapy. Those are some real good tools to kind of expand awareness and connectivity to greater realities in their own backyard. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Our, our society, uh, especially in the, in the States, um, it's not really set up for, you know, a day-to-day experience to be introspective and uh, connect with the spiritual self. It's more uh, constantly on the go, and it really takes an effort on the individual's part to take the time for meditation and to sure. um, to do more of those spiritual things. Um, so with... With this book, what was the driving force for you to finally write this book after all of these years? And did that near-death experience uh, lead you to the career that you're in now? Yes, and you know, with with within my own near-death experience, as you know, kind of what happened when my brain cracked in half. You know, literally, that's when God came in. And you know, one thing that I learned is truly change. Um, and, and evolution and awareness is not a Herculean effort. You know, I think really all it takes is an open mind and an open heart for the doorways of eternity to come, 
you know, into our life, you know, and it takes um, just, just that openness. But for me, my, my biggest impetus behind this was many different factors, but the ultimate factor to get it into this time was just the symmetry that I was able to see in the parallels behind what happened to me at three years old and what's happening on a great, greater macro scale in today's world where, you know, people are just feeling lifeless and, you know, they've got nothing to hold on to and they're just very uncertain. And um, I wanted in my own way to just, um, I firmly believe that if we hold things in, that is the closest thing to me. But if we're constantly able to uh, bring out what's what's deep inside of us and, and have a ripple effect, then truly that creates eternal life. And so what happened to me was it was a, a touch with eternity. But if I just held on to that, it had no legs to stand on and had no ripple effect. And it just was a cool inner experience. Um, but if we're all connected, you know, part of that is to be our brothers and sisters keepers, just as I experienced as a child in God's playground and my near-death experience. Uh, and so I think it was really to speak to the times. Um, you know, the other piece was, um, you know, I tried to bury this down like, like a beach ball, you know, in, in, in the ocean for quite some time. Um, I really ran away from this. So I, I, you know, recognized that the world was just so much diametrically opposite than what I experienced. And in order almost to kind of survive, like you were talking about before, I had to just kind of bury this down. You know, it wasn't until later in life when I just hit a, you know, in my late teens, early twenties, when I just hit, you know, the wall that I recognized that, um, not just to survive, but in order to thrive, I need to remember what I'm connected to and in, in, in this in this other deeper part of me, you know, when the uh, impermanence of this world uh, does not do justice. And I think really, you know, right now, especially the impermanence of the body is sped up in front of us with this current pandemic and our understanding that at any moment we could be taken. Um, and that's nothing new. That's something that I remembered at the age of three and and every moment, each cell in our body is literally dying. So how do we find life, you know, within, you know, a constant uh, death kind of thrown in our face? And I think truly it's by re-remembering that we are eternal, by re-remembering that we come from before this body we were, after this body we will be, and we're here to just integrate um, our true nature and not the nature that was, you know, a little bit buried with, um, you know, kind, kind of this programmed life. And so I think really it's it's allowing people some superpowers of resilience uh, through this book um, to to the forces inside of themselves to interact and engage with all of the winds that are being kind of blown on in our direction a million miles an hour in today's age. Sure. Yeah. As as foreign as it might seem, there is so much more to this life than what we are in this physical body. Um, when I was a child, uh, around 10 years old, I had an experience um, where one night a relative came to me um, and told me, gave me this message um, as she was, had just, I believe she had just passed on. Um, when I woke up in the morning, my mom was already awake and had told me that my aunt had passed away in the middle of the night. I didn't even know she was sick. And that experience that I had with her soul uh, during the night is something that has stayed with me my entire life and makes me really understand from a first, first-hand perspective that 
your soul is really what we are. And so I really don't have a fear of death. Um, I think my, my lack of fear of death comes from that experience. Do you feel the same? Do you feel that knowing what you know and having visited that other side, do you have less of a fear of death? Yes, I don't, I don't fear, you know, what will happen on the other side of it. I fear more so the, the physical dying process. Like that was, you know, very traumatic and something that stuck with me. But that was, you know, temporary turbulence. But, but um, mm-hmm. I, you know, after lose, from losing myself, I was able to find, you know, so much more of myself and, and, and connect to the other side. And um, I, 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 I truly have no doubt in my body no doubt in my body, my mind, my spirit that, you know, we are eternal and we we go on. Um, so, you know, much like if you're experiencing interdimensional communication with, you know, your, your loved one that, that crossed over and, you know, the shared death experience that seemed like you, you were describing. Um, I, I don't, I don't fear death. I fear, um, I fear not living. I fear not being truthful. I fear not living. I fear leaving something left in my tank that, um, was intended to be put out there. So that's mostly yeah. what I fear these days. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a beautiful concept. If we could only all all live that way, right? Um yeah. so you're you're fairly young, you're thirty years old, you just wrote this book that was released about a month ago. What do you see being next for you? Well, um, spoiler alert for, for readers, I'm, I'm nearly completed with my you know, next book, um, which you know, my experience happened on a ladder, you know, to a park and a slide. And my name is Jacob. And you know, for anyone who's familiar with Genesis and the story of Jacob's ladder and how Jacob saw angels going up and down the ladder when he was fleeing from his brother Esau, uh, each rung of the ladder was a different uh, higher tapestry to the heavens to the earth. And so my, my next book that I'm working on, I haven't really thought of the title, but it's kind of like the long, along the lines of, of Jacob's Ladder. Um, this is a book that's really a tool book and a guidebook, you know, for, for ways to kind of access the other side and lessons from the other side for everyday living. Um, you know, Life After Breath is, has, you know, indirect lessons and direct lessons, and it's inspirational, but it's, uh, it's, it's more of a memoir component. Um, you know, and I do that purposely for people to, you know, A, understand who who I am, because in order to do, in order for people to really teach, you have to really feel a sense of connection to, to, to the author. I think that I've always really been able to, to um, formulate rapport better with authors that way. Uh, but also it's, it's to really empower other people to understand that I am nothing special. With my experience are no different. I just happen to have a suffocating experience and to remind myself of what is within our, all our own backyards. And so my goal is to not just be this torch that people look at in awe, but rather this torch that people could light their own, you know, from and, and continue to have a ripple effect to bring heaven down to earth. And so, you know, my book is almost done. I anticipate that to be, you know, released maybe within the next year or two, as I want, you know, this book to kind of ride, you know, mm-hmm. its course in a way. And, you know, and uh, once I feel like it's it's um, settled down, then I'll make some plays. The other thing I'm trying to do is to create an audio tape shortly for people with vision impairments and um, you know people who who have difficulty just sitting down and reading something. So, uh, being recorded as well as an audio guided heavenly med- meditation, you know that I'll be working on within the next six months to a year. 
So those are my some of my plans that I have brewing. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Um, is there anything before we go um, that we maybe haven't touched on that you think is important for the listeners to know about or a final message that you would like them to take away from this? I would say, you know, the important part, if you are listening to this, is to not take my every word um, as as the as a total utmost truth for for your own experience i think what's important is to have skepticism behind my experience while also um you know finding ways to separate skepticism and cynicism um i i understand that part of the territory as a near-death experiencer is that you're challenging one of the greatest questions that a man or woman has ever had to face is what happens when we die and it's a scary reality it's a scary reality to let go of everything that we thought and saw ourselves of to really open ourselves up to to a greater reality at hand. And change is difficult, and most people would rather their comfort zones, whether that be healthy or unhealthy. I think ultimately for us to change and for things to change, the moment we start seeing ourselves as an infinite being, everything changes. Finite measures don't have as much of an implication on our impact on our life, and our body is not who we see and truly what we feel. When we connect to spirit, there's an infinite body that we're connected to. And that leads itself to, for us to understand the ultimate collateral is not in the taking and not in the feeding of the physical material, but rather in giving um, of the eternal and having a ripple effect that will leave this body and leave this time frame long after them when we're gone. And so I think hopefully this, this, this talk could allow us to really not only open up superpowers of resilience to um, navigate these times and obviously we'll have highs and lows and you know myself included <laughs> a near-death mm-hmm. experience or I, I am just as human as the next um, but I think what's important is for people to start seeing themselves a little bit differently because that will lead the ability to translate this period of pain into unique purpose um, from isolation into cohesion and um, from competition to cooperation and I think if people can do that you know, we'll be making a lot more headway on a micro and macro basis. Definitely. I I got your book a couple days ago. I'm a little less than halfway through, and I can tell the listeners it's, it's written beautifully. Uh, there were times that had me uh, tearing up. Um, it's definitely an easy read that makes you want to keep going and keep turning the pages. Where could people learn more about you and where can they buy your book? Yes. So if anyone is interested in, um, you know, any questions or if you're interested in a service such as mindfulness or hypnosis, if you live in New York state, I do provide individual psychotherapy, but I'm, you know, right now still restricted by state uh, coverage. Um, And also I do consciousness consulting too, uh, but you can find me on the website at, at jacobelcooper.com, jacobelcooper.com. And you could look at my book. It's on Amazon, Life After Breath by Jacob Cooper, LCSW. And there, you know, you could look at the paperback or the Kindle. Um, any shares and reviews of the book is, is beyond appreciated as, um, you know, ultimately I don't do that uh, necessarily to monetize it. It's not about that. I've got a full-time career. I'm okay. Uh, but um, th- this the biggest impetus of this book was a couple of years ago, I had a client of mine and I was 
running a meditation group and the client came up to me and he, and he asked me for the name of a meditation book that I had in mind. And I told the client that I would be telling him the name of the book in a couple of days. Well, within a couple of days, uh, that particular client committed suicide and, you know, I never saw him again in the physical. And from mm-hmm. that, I, I understood, you know, the power of getting out your message and the power of what a book can do. And ultimately, people have a decision, you know, when there's a will, there's a way, either way. Um, but ultimately, I understand the importance of sharing this book. And I'm limited just as myself. And so for any listeners, if you felt touched by this, you know, feel free to check out the book. But ultimately, you know, if you could share it, uh, that would be important because you just never know who that will touch. And I know all of us have been comforted by that by that uplifting book, you know, in the dark night of the soul. And um, it's my hope that this book provides that same degree of comfort and inspiration in a time that uh, needs it the most. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Jake. Um, you're a beautiful soul with this fascinating story. And I really hope people take advantage and, and read the book and hear more in-depth about what what you learned on the other side. Well, thank you everyone for listening and be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app or at unexplainabletruths.com. Until next time, everyone, take care.